Welcome to the Museum Revealed podcast, brought to you by Queensland Museum Network. Join me, Dr. Rob Bell, as we chat to the people that make museums so fascinating. The curators, the scientists, the researchers. It's a, a deep dive into conversations with these storytellers that inspire us to be curious about our past, and make sense of the present, and of course, consider the future. And right now, we are chatting with Daryl Potter, who is the collection manager for Mollusks. Welcome, Daryl. Hello. Can you tell me, and everyone, for starters, what exactly is a mollusk? What what makes a mollusk? It's like the second largest sort of group or phylum of animals, but, but what is a mollusk? Well, firstly, a mollus- mollusks are actually a very large group of animals that have been around probably since half a billion years ago, about 500 million years ago. Ancient creatures. Yeah, and there's been a number of different evolutionary experiments amongst that group and you've probably got something like 85,000 living species at the moment that inhabit everything from coral reefs and rocky zones and mangroves all the way to uh, high mountain rainforests and freshwater streams and even some found in the desert. So we have quite a range of different um, experimental forms that have developed over that period. So what would be the most common mollusk your average person might run into in their garden, for example, or somewhere like that? Unfortunately, uh, in gardens you end up with the introduced uh, European garden snail, okay. uh, which is a reasonable size, but then there's a smaller one called the uh, it's Brady Venus similaris, which the... Well, everyone should know that name. Yes, <laughs> the Asian tramp snail. Oh. Because... And, tramped around the world and Ah. been found in a number of places and that actually both of those species are are problems because being um, pests species that are quite easily able to invade alien um, ecosystems or habitats they can cause problems to do with agriculture or to do with horticulture Uh, people that are trying to grow vines of and cultivate things, yep. they end up with all these tiny little snails in them that are a problem. So, so snails obviously are a big part of mollusks. So snails yeah. and slugs, what yeah. else have we got in that? So snails and slugs belong to a, a group in the mollusk called gastropods. Yep. And gastropods, for instance, in the marine environment, almost a quarter of all named species in the marine environment are gastropods. So they are quite a large group. So your snails and slugs and things like nudibranchs, which oh, are a sea yep, slug yep. as well. Amazing. And, and then things like semi-snail, semi-slugs, which are a group of uh, snails that have over millions of years have lost the large shell and only have a small shell, which is not enough to actually retreat into. So they'll, they'll live in habitats where there's a lot more available water because they cannot can't resist the desiccation problems of, of drier environments. So that's your snails and slugs. And then you have the other main group that people are familiar with, which is bifalce. So if you go to your fish and chip shop and you have a scallop or you have an oyster or a mussel, okay, they're all, all those, yeah, those two double hinge, not double hinge, double valved species um, and things like giant clams, that sort of thing as well. But there's a you know a vast array of different families there that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. 
that occur particularly in the marine environments where they, they actually filter feed so they'll pass the water over their gills and extract the nutrients that way. So they're the two big groups, the bivalves and the snail slugs. Then you have things that people don't often associate with that group, the cephalopods. So you've got squid, octopus, cuttlefish that don't appear to have shells. The, the uh, octopus certainly don't, mm. but the squid have a, a pen sort of in, inside it. And the cuttlefish, everyone knows, that has, cuddle has bone, that yep. cuddle bone that they put in the budgerigar's yep. cage because <laughs> yes, it's true. a calcium supplement. Um, so, but then there's another uh, member of that group, the cephalopods, called the nautilus shells, uh-huh. yes, yep. which has uh, a spiral-type shell. And that shell forms a particularly different function to the others because it can be used as a flotation or buoyancy device because of the actual chambers within it by... Uh, uh, modifying the ratio of the uh, fluid to the gas in the shell you can go up in the water column or down in the water column much like if you were in a swimming pool and you Ah, breathed out you would sink sink to the bottom and if you inhale you can float yeah so i think that's fascinating because the nautilus shell and people would recognize one i think if they saw one it actually doesn't look unlike a snail shell but they're very Distantly related, really, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, because the nautilus shells are more more closely related to the the ancient groups of mollusks that like were the, in the seas years ago, the ammonites, yeah. and yeah, that sort of thing. So, um, still, still a much different group mm. of species. There's um, there's a few more, a couple of more species being just recently described as well. But uh, so there again, so you've got the snail slugs and the bivalves, and you've got the cephalopods which are squids, cuttlefish, nautilus, and octopus. And then you have some other groups. There's about three more classes of living mollusks. Chitons would be one that people would recognise. They're often found on rocky platforms. In southeast Queensland, for instance, they'd be around Caloundra, that sort of area. They have these plates, and they're sort of lateral plates with what's called a fleshy girdle that sort of holds it all together, and they'll adhere really tightly to rocks. So you try to move one and straight away it clamps on. Ah. Yeah, so they're the main groups. And then there's some very minor, unusual things that people would never come across, deep sea things and things with only a few species. It's such a diverse group. And and as you said, they live over at such different places. But I suppose that it's because they are also such an ancient group, so they've evolved into many different environments. Is that sort of the way, the best yeah, way to look at it? Yeah, they've or? been able to exploit all sorts of different habitats by, over, over time, certain things become more successful. Uh, a thicker shell, a smaller shell, a larger shell, um, that sort of thing. So they so, found their niches all over yeah, the place. Yeah, all over. So you'll get some in, in the tops of rainforests where they may not need very much of a shell because it's very moist uh-huh. there and there's plenty of available moisture there. And then you'll get other areas where it's more open, uh, less shelter, and so they'll need a particularly thick shell in order to resist the climatic factors, the harsh uh, sun, desiccation, that sort of thing. And also the shell, in many of these groups, one of the primary um, advantages of the shell is protection. So it's like building a wall. 
it's better than building a wall between two countries. It's actually you, you're carrying your your sort of little concrete shelter, if you like, with you, and it is in a way sort of like concrete. It's actually a calcium carbonate mm. type thing. Aragonite is is usually the um, the, the compound that forms um, the shell, and the shell is generally a, a three-layered type thing as well, which uh, much different to what you would think is the, say, shell, for want of a better word, of a of turtle. Okay, yep. Yeah, so which is actually a, a real part of the living organism, mm. whereas the shell of the mollusk is secreted by an, an area of tissue called the mantle, which is a, a fleshy sort of body wall, outside body wall, as the mollusk grows, it will secrete these calcium carbonate products and make its home the right size as it grows. So it grows with... It grows with, with it, the, yeah. yeah. And that also accounts for the dazzling array of shapes, colour patterns that you get as well. So the particular food that the uh, mollusk may be eating, let's say it's a cowrie, and there might be a cowrie that's eating a certain group of sponges on a coral reef. And as it grows, it will ex exude the waste products ah, in the, the mantles um, and form the shell. And that will usually um, relate to a particular type of colour pattern that it has. So, and you will get some variation in the colour pattern depending upon how far the species ranges. But often you can tell a tiger cowrie looks different to, you know, uh, uh, a ringed cowrie or something like that, you know, because of the particular food, the ecological requirements, the habitat, and the genetic code that's evolved for that particular species to form that particular size, shape, pattern, colour of shell. Hmm. Fascinating that, they, yeah, their diet can form such a... A flag, I guess, on the integral. outside with their yeah, with yeah. their shell, an integral part of their shell. Yeah. Um, so tell me, of the you must have, a, I guess, a fairly enormous number of mollusks in the collection here. Um, are they mostly kept in sort of in, in spirits, or because I, I imagine being mostly being soft-bodied creatures, you don't they don't really obviously they don't have skeletons. So are they mostly kept sort of uh, in jars of alcohol? Is that mostly okay. how you so have them? Or? Mostly we have a an enormous dry shell collection. Oh, okay, of course. But but we do yeah because that in in many cases that is the identification factor yep. that you can readily use to determine that this is a conus textile, which is a textile cone or it's a spiny murex shell. You can actually tell straight away. However, uh, for genetic work these days, in order to actually separate things much more finely, and, you know, is this a different species to that, or is this just a populational difference? So that would be where you would so need we the will, we do have quite a few um, that have been collected that are stored in what we call the wet collection, which yep. is, it's not wet so much with water, but wet with ethanol yep. in order to preserve the tissues. Well, this is fascinating and amazing, and stay tuned because we're going to have more about all of these amazing mollusks, including some slimy snail facts that you might not have known. So stay tuned. Did you know Queensland has more animal species than anywhere else in Australia? We are one of the most biologically diverse places on earth. With over 300 specimens to explore, take a tour through our breathtaking environments and discover how we need to protect and preserve our natural world. Visit Queensland Museum's Wild State Exhibition today. More and more the um, taxonomic studies, taxonomic meaning the um, 
separating into species based on characteristics yep, yep. is all being uh, done relying on anatomical studies and genetic studies rather than just the shell itself and the colour patterns, which was more of a historical way when the science of mollusk studies, which is malacology, used to be mainly called conchology, conch meaning the shell. Oh, okay. So yep. We have probably in excess of 100,000 registered lots in, in the dry collection and in the wet collection. And we pride ourselves, for the last 30 or 40 years, we've actually concentrated a lot on the rainforest and snails of Eastern Australia and we have the best collection of rainforest snails of Eastern Australia, particularly northern New South Wales through Queensland, Cape York, of anywhere. Yeah. Fantastic. So with all of the, the masses of snail shells that you must have around the place, can you, can you tell me, I suppose, which is the biggest and maybe do you have a favourite amongst all of the, the snails at least? Let's just stick with sort of gastropods. Do you have a, have a favourite snail, whether it be from the ornateness of their shell or and, and which one's the biggest? Everyone wants to know, you know, what's the, the largest uh, snail going around? Well, starting with the favourite, it's a little bit something like asking what's your favourite That's true. Song. It probably changes from week so to week as Every well. genre is different yes. sort of thing. So, but uh, as far as size goes, Australia has one particularly large one called the giant panda snail scientific name being Hedleyella falconeri uh, and there is a related species McConnell's panda just to the north of that which is a little bit smaller but they are quite large and we often get inquiries. How big, how big would they be roughly like sort of a, um, if we're going to, to sort go, of almost a fist size maybe? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the giant that's, panda that's can be a good big. size <laughs> fist yeah and you will find that even in the rainforests uh, to the uh, north and south of Brisbane. Okay. And that one actually occurs all the way down to the mid-east uh, central part of northern New South Wales rainforests. So people sometimes think they have a, a mutant on their hands or well, an inva often, invasive species, the, the they African often think snails. <laughs> that they've got the giant African uh, yep. snail. And the giant African snail has got in to Australia on three different occasions but only in very small um, instances and one particular one in northern Queensland it was um, you know like about half a dozen different backyards oh, okay, yep. and that was all heavily cleaned up quickly, cleaned up quickly because we didn't want that mm. getting and was one particular around Corumban at one stage as well so it, it is good that actually people say, is this the giant mm. African snail? The awareness is uh, there. We're not going to say, oh, you've misidentified that, <laughs> because if they do find one, it's important that we uh, notify the state authorities as quickly as possible, because they are, uh, unlike a lot of Australian native snails in the forests that are primarily fungivores, they'll eat fungi and decaying vegetation and help with the ecological recycling of nutrients in the in the forests the giant african snail is a herbivore so one large one could devour a small oh, bush in a night sort of yeah. thing so we don't want that getting through any of the no, no, areas we don't, here we don't, we don't need them so tell me do uh, do you just out of interest do you have a giant african snail shell in the collection and oh yeah how, how big do they get what sort of size are we talking there uh, like, well when the animal is out crawling of a fully grown large adult the whole thing can be, in old terms, a foot long. So about, about as big as a football, like an AFL ball yeah, or a rugby they, ball. Yeah, they are quite large. Generally, oh. they are smaller, yep, but, but they you, know, can. you can get that size. Yeah, I now, can imagine the that would giant panda snail is not going to be 
that size, it's going to be more like, say, five inches, yep. which is... Twelve and a half centimetres. Centimetres, <laughs> yeah, sort of thing. But, uh, but there are always sub-adults of species as well, and the sub-adult may even... That's the other thing about most snails, is that they're hermaphrodites, so they'll have both male and female sexual parts and so you can end up you may have one individual that's carrying around it's already got the eggs and it's ready to you know the eggs to be to hatch and to move about so and is that why they can be such prolific pests oh yes it's and and we also have things like that there's uh an, an introduced or is it, there's an aquatic snail um an, an apple snail or sometimes they're called mystery snails <laughs> that's great name. yeah <laughs> Well, that, they were How bred. Did they get here, is it? <laughs> well, they were. Yeah, obviously, people like them to have them in their aquarium. Oh, for their aquarium, because right, they'll clean they the algae off the sides of the glass. But then yep. a lot of people, when they're finished with the aquarium, then Toss dump it in the local stream. Yeah. And so we have a number of uh, localities to the north, south, east, and west of Brisbane that have incidences of these um, apple snails. Because sometimes, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes um, these sort of things come in, in ships too, like in the ballast water and that sort of thing. Is that less likely these not, days? Not for, things like, uh, not for things like apple snails, which are freshwater things. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But uh, there are a lot of marine invaders that come in, in in ballast water and they come in in the hulls of ships. So you'll get, um, you, you can get marine infestations. That way, but uh, obviously not the But land snails, we have had the giant African snail. It's routinely um, intercepted at the docks because it comes in in container shipments. Ah. And, and so they'll have, they'll, I think they might put... As a stowaway, presumably. Not people yeah, that, but they in. would put salt barriers at the do docks around them in ah. order to stop because snails do not like to go across the salt because the... Um, it, it dries them out, is that the... Yeah, yeah, the actual foot that the mollusk crawls on secretes slime in order to create a sort of frictionless glide. And once you have salt there, it, the things just start sliming away like crazy. And so it's a... It's a death sentence. So. Thanks, Daryl. That has been amazing. And you know what? We haven't really scratched the, the shell or the surface of, uh, of the mollusk world. I'm, I'm, it feels like things have flown by and not really a snail's pace at all. Um, we'll have to have you back on. But thanks for coming in. It's been extremely interesting. Um, and I hope it has been for everyone out there as well. Thanks for joining us for the Museum Revealed podcast. Hopefully... We've uncovered plenty for you in this episode. Um, but if you're interested in learning more, then follow the Queensland Museum on social media. You can find them at, at QLD Museum or head to our website, qm.qld.gov.au. And while you're there, sign up for the e-news list so you can stay up to date with everything. And don't forget, there'll be some facts together with this episode that you can have a look at and download and find out more about mollusks. Uh, until next time, stay curious.